if I didn't know medically that I had tear ducts, I would assume I didn't. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Part one. The most badass thing that's ever happened. Hey everyone, welcome back to Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Uh, yet another uh, melee <laughs> of uh, cinematic choices. Um, this week we will, uh, you know, we always have kind of an accidental theme. Mm-hmm. And but this week I feel like we we planned ahead, which is unusual for us. <laughs> And and decided like okay let's do documentaries because uh, as as we had kind of discussed privately there's any number of really good documentaries out there oh, yeah. and you just can't catch them all mm-hmm. uh, so we have each selected one and uh, yeah we'll get into that in a moment but first the, we are recording this it is it should probably be said the day after Halloween yeah <laughs> so you and I have both probably been just in a, uh, a maelstrom of horror viewing, uh, oh of late. Yeah. It's been, it's been a, a veritable tsunami of a uh, horror cinema for about the last, well, the, it's always for me and you, cause we're both involved with horror. Um, our, our respective shows do exclusively horror. Um, you know, we're always watching horror movies, but, um, for some reason, October swings around and we, we demand extra of ourselves when it comes to to viewing so yeah it's been it's been pretty full on um i was quite glad that you know um and sad at the same time that it's the day after halloween that i can just go back to my usual maybe one or two movies um a night as opposed to the sustained five movies a night that i've been doing the last two weeks so yeah uh, that is insanity but <laughs> it does lead us to our usual opening question of of, of the mad number of films that you have seen recently are there uh, a couple of movies that have stuck out to you i know one there that you recommended to me that i'm really looking forward to seeing but i'll i'll shut up what have you mm-hmm. been what have you been watching <laughs> well i can say that um in the last in the last week anyway i have seen three movies that will make my top 10 list this year unless something else comes along in fact one of those movies might end up topping it i have seen the babadook I am oh. jealous. How was it? <laughs> um, uh, pretty fucking amazing. I'm not gonna lie. They don't make horror movies like this anymore, Bo. They they really don't. Um, it is dark. It's creepy. It's weird. It's incredibly gothic feeling. It deals with um subject matter which I think in today's society is still fairly taboo, and it just handles it. Well, I, I, this woman that directed this movie has delivered an effort which I could genuinely say is... I mean, it kind of... My only gripe with the movie is I feel it comes off the rails maybe in the last 10, 15 minutes. But she's given you so much by then that that's just a small blip. I can completely overlook that. She's given a movie to me which... Um, as one of the high standouts for this year, it is absolutely fucking amazing. Um, and if you like old school horror, if you like creepy, weird, haunted house sort of stories, if you like anything that has a mythology in your horror movies, if you like anything like that at all, or you just appreciate dark cinema, this movie right now is one of the best you will see this year. Absolutely fucking amazing. I also saw um, Horns. Uh, which is the the new um, Alexander Aja 
uh, and based on the book by Joe Hill, which is Stephen King's son, starring Daniel Radcliffe, who most people know as Harry Potter. Um, and I really enjoyed that movie. I, I, it's been getting a bit of a kick in from our fellow podcasters. I know there's quite a few people that did like that movie, um, but there's quite a lot of people been complaining about the length of it. I don't necessarily think it's overly long. You could have probably shaved 10 minutes off that, but I don't know how close it is to the actual novel that if those 10 minutes would necessarily, you know, if taking them out would draw even further criticism that it had moved away from the book. But I liked it. I, I thought it was kind of less horror and more kind of dark fantasy. Um, very much more in line with something that uh, Del Toro would put out, for example, than necessarily Sam Raimi. Um, but I, I thought that was good. Daniel Radcliffe, phenomenal again. Uh, this is his uh, second horror movie, and I would quite happily see him do more horror movies. I think he's a, I think he's an excellent, talented actor. Um, and I like the choices. There's, there's a fair few actors and actresses that you watch this have been involved with the genre, so you get them. But it's beautifully shot. Oh, oh just brilliant. Um, so Housebound. This is the last one I'll talk about. Right, right. Um, that's that's House... the one I think I may watch even this very evening. Yeah, Housebound's fucking awesome, but <laughs> right, Housebound is um, from New Zealand. It is a horror comedy, and it is wonderful. It's absolutely fucking wonderful. It's um, if if you like kind of New Zealand styled horror, if you get the the comedy of something like a Black Sheep, for example, and um, then you're pretty much be on board with the comedy in this one. It's not played like Black Sheep, which was very much like a kind of splattery weird film. This one's more haunted house, but done with that sort of sense of humor. And it's fucking brilliant. Absolutely fucking brilliant. And it takes a twist about 20 minutes from the end, which um, pays homage to um, a particular movie that I hold very close to my heart. And when that came up, I was like that. I, 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 I didn't think they could better this film. I was enjoying it. I was laughing at it up to this point. And then they sprung that and I was like, oh, you've just leveled up. Um, so um, that movie is getting mad love from me. I think that's a movie. I think it's now on VOD in America. So if you're hearing this at any point, go and check out that. If you like horror comedy, this movie is a strong recommend. It's, it's dark and it can be quite creepy in places, but it has a particular sense of humour, which... I think it's fantastic. So, in between that, uh, a lot of Twin Peaks because I got the box set. Oh, uh, uh, first season of that is so good. Uh, well, yeah, I've not seen it since it was on the television for its first run through. So back early nineties was the first time, the first time and only time I've ever watched any Twin Peaks, and it's always stuck with me. And um, I got the Blu-ray box set for my birthday, and uh, oh, I, I mean. For the fact that they've remastered it, it looks stunning. Just, I forgot how quirky and ahead of its time that television show is. Um, you can you can track almost, like, all the television shows I'm watching now, you can track elements that have come directly from Twin Peaks. Um, so thoroughly enjoying that as well. Uh, but yeah, what about yourself, Bo? Yeah, I, I, I feel bad in that. I haven't seen anything of late that was uh, of the quality that it sounds like uh, the films you've seen. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I'm looking to remedy that. I've, you know, watched some old favorites. I uh, watched Trick or Treat for Halloween because, oh, excellent. you know, why, why not? That's <laughs> it. And, and I actually, you know, we, uh, there was a Halloween party last week. So uh, that was sort of the Halloween celebration. So for Halloween proper, um, I didn't really have any plans, which was mm-hmm. kind of fine by me. 
because I, you know, I had messaged you about this, that it was truly a dark and stormy night. Like the, the wind was blowing through the eaves and that sort of thing. So it was, uh, it was kind of nice just to kick back and, and savor, uh, mm-hmm. trick or treat. And, you know, that's a movie that I don't find frightening in any way, but I find it to be, uh, just so, uh, loving mm-hmm. an homage to Halloween that I, I don't know how you don't just want to hug Sam, you know? Yeah. yeah. The, oh, it's really, it captures everything that I imagine, an American Halloween to be like, because <laughs> we don't have that over here. So not on that level, it's certainly getting there. But yeah, when I watch that movie, I'm like that. There's someone that clearly understands horror fans and also what horror means. So sort of Halloween means to horror fans and put it on screen. Um, it's a fucking brilliant movie. Yeah, it's fantastic. But okay, so I'll mention two movies. One that's really good. Well, one that's kind of good. And one that is just uh, one of the worst things I've seen in a long time. <laughs> because, because it was so bad that I almost can't wrap my head around it. But or, but the, the one that I actually enjoyed was uh, the 2014 Godzilla. That oh, yeah. I, yeah, I finally yeah. caught up to. Mm-hmm. And that movie certainly has its problems. Yeah. But when Godzilla is on screen. Yeah. They get it just right. I mean, I really, I, yeah. My my biggest problem with that movie is that way too often Godzilla fighting the, you know, mutors or whatever they're called mm-hmm. is, is kind of cast in the background of that film. Yeah, I can I can see that. I, my my, my uh, kind of counter to that was that I felt if I felt that if we had too much of that during the movie, that end fight, it would be like you weren't necessary. Like you want to build to something. So getting those glimpses of it in the background just made you want to see it. So when they deliver that end 20 minutes and oh my god yeah <laughs> oh my god that that last sequence um you know it's, it's it's almost kept you on the edge of your seat to see that so when it finally drops it's amazing but i felt i felt my, my personal opinion was that they had to cram so much of the origin story into the movie that unfortunately that meant that godzilla time was a bit light on the screen so i don't know how i don't know how much uh for example a godzilla 2 will be like that. I imagine it'll be a lot more, here's Godzilla! (laughs) Kind of from the off. And I do appreciate the fact that Godzilla is, you know, defender of Earth. You know, like the the old Toho films, and not just, here's a big, oversized iguana that's loose (laughs) in New York City. Wait, 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 that that sounds familiar, boy. Are you directly referencing a movie? (laughs) I I am saying that there have been more than one attempt to resurrect Godzilla as an American property. One of them involves one of the coolest things I've ever seen in a Godzilla movie. And one of them has Matthew Broderick. Um... Hit like the Godzilla taking care of business moment at the very end of of Godzilla, the 2014 version, is just one of the most badass things I've seen in a movie in some oh, time. Oh man! Oh, the, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up, and I was my I was I saw it in the cinema, and um, the full force of the the sim design hits you, and he he dispatches his final foe in a way which can only be described as probably the most badass thing that's ever happened. Um, I would agree. And not just just in movies, just in general. Yeah. I love the fact that he did, like, when he he does that, though, when he does that, he just kind of, like, he just kind of just lets the the, the corpse drop, and then just lets out this, 
I'm Godzilla. And I'm like, yes, you are. You're right. fucking amazing. Love it. And yeah, it, it's it's terrific. And I, w- I would love to see what a Godzilla 2 looks like. And I, I, I we have kind of established a weird universe for this story mm-hmm. in which they could get away with something like UFOs coming to Earth with a Mecha Godzilla or something. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. it wouldn't be that crazy. Yeah, I think people would be on board for that. I think that's the only way you could carry that on. I don't think you could do another, oh, well, guess what else we've been working on in a different country? <laughs> you know, I don't think that they can do that. I think they'll have to take it extraterrestrial. And um, I'm done with that. I mean, let's put it this way. In the next couple of years, we're going to have a Pacific Rim 2 and a Godzilla 2. Um, so if you are a fan of monster movies, this is just like... This is like the beginning of a new renaissance, um, and I'm completely on board with it. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, okay, but let's let's get to the meat of this. So I saw this movie called The Mummy Resurrected. Right, is this um, is this like in the, the Mummy Resurrected? Is it like Brendan Fraser or something? It it is certainly meant to evoke those films, right? But it is in no way connected. Oh, right. It, because it is in no way a movie, really. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those that I... I mean, if, if you look at the cover art for this thing, it is incredibly evocative of those Brendan Fraser. I think Stephen Summers directed those Mummy films. Mm-hmm. But... And, and the titles, again, would certainly suggest, like, oh, you remember those Mummy movies? Well, this is sort of a direct-to-video Oh Sequel God, yeah, yeah. I'm looking right? at the cover right now. It's fucking hell, yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty much the same sort of imagery, the same color scheme and everything. Right, yeah, like the face coming out of the sand and all that. Okay, so here's what's really going on in this movie. Um, apparently, some people who had a green screen decided <laughs> that they wanted to make a mummy movie, and it has uh, a bunch of you know youngish uh, young ladies you know, in their 20s. Mm-hmm. And it's some story about, like, one of their long-lost fathers is an archaeologist, and they're helping him exhume this tomb, but he's really trying to, like, resurrect a mummy, I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know. His his motivations are a little shaky uh, through most of the film. And, yeah, and then it's just, like, the girl's getting picked off by uh, terrible CGI. And, again, this is all, I would say uh 80% in front of green screen for uh-huh. most of the movie and it is just the most like cheap thrown together thing i've seen it, it but but it's also one of those movies where like every decision that the filmmakers made was the wrong one mm-hmm. and there's something completely fascinating to me about a movie like this where it it just doesn't make sense that it exists <laughs> and it it is god awful. I mean, I'm, I'm not recommending to anyone that you should see The Mummy Resurrected, but if you're one of those people like me that kind of savors a movie that is so bad and so incompetent that it almost circles its way back around to being really entertaining, mm-hmm. I kind of recommend it on that level. <laughs> And it is, I mean, everything about it is just like a cash grab and cynical and all that. But when you get to the meat of the movie and they're just like, we're not really sure what this is supposed to be about. 
<laughs> and it's just a bunch of nonsense. And the end is even like, like the movie tops itself with, with how completely unabashedly nonsensical the end is. Oh, right. And oh my goodness. I kind <laughs> I kind of adored it for all of its terribleness. So uh, again, not a recommendation unless you are a bit of a glutton for cinematic punishment. <laughs> that in mind maybe if it appears on netflix or something i might i would recommend watching and and feel free to skip around because believe me you're not gonna miss story beats because <laughs> there aren't any there's just a, hey we showed up to this tomb and now a bunch of weird shit happens that's <laughs> that's the whole movie at one point there may be some militants that shoot at them but that doesn't have anything to do with anything because they just go back in the tomb um it's <laughs> It's nonsense. It's but <laughs> it's kind of wonderful nonsense. Um, but uh, speaking of horribleness, mm -hmm. I feel like we should just go ahead and jump into the first movie, which is your oh, yeah. your recommendation to me. <laughs> yeah, let's let let let's 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 raise the tone. <laughs> yes, from a movie that is so incompetent it can be called good to yeah. to a movie that is so horrifying mm -hmm. uh that it i all right let's get into this yeah. all right we'll yeah. be right back and we will be talking about uh duncan's pick for me a film called the act of killing we will be right back part two having fun making movies about atrocities and welcome back so um documentaries we were kind of we, like Bo says there's so many out there we both like documentaries um and it's kind of difficult to when you both actively watch documentaries to try and find things that the person hasn't seen. Um, I kind of went slightly obscure with my selection and lucky enough you hadn't seen it. Um, it was a movie, believe it or not, that I hadn't seen either until I told you to check it out. Um, I just knew it by reputation um, and it was uh, 2012's The Act of Killing what to say about this movie right it's uh, directed by and i will pronounce this guy's surname terribly wrong it's joshua oppenheimer i think is how you pronounce his surname um and the synopsis is a documentary which challenges former indonesian death squad leaders to reenact their mass killings in whichever cinematic genre they wish including classic hollywood crime scenarios and lavish musical numbers now i will obviously chime in at the end to see what i thought about this but bo um you watched this just a couple of nights ago yes um and i kind of told you it was going to be fairly hard hitting what did you think of the act of killing yeah it's it is a wonderful movie if you want to feel terrible about the world yeah <laughs> It, I mean, it, it's, uh, it, you know, what's the, the Modest Mouse album, uh, Good News for People Who Love Bad News? This yeah. is that. It is, you know, like you said, the synopsis is you're basically filmmakers going to these uh, death squad, former death squad leaders, although they're certainly still involved with the weird politics of Indonesia mm -hmm. and saying, hey, we, you know, tell tell the story from your point of view. And the the film chronicles that production, yeah. But also is interviews with uh, with them and and seeing their reaction to the uh, the scenes that they've shot and so forth. Um, you know the the focus of the film is really on a gentleman named Anwar Congo, mm -hmm. 
um, that was a, a gangster. The, the way that they talk about gangsters in this movie is that they're they're sort of fairly low level street thugs, mm-hmm. and you know, like a lot of these guys got their start doing this weird uh, like ticket scam with popular movies that. Yeah. Uh, and, and and it seems, you know, harmless enough. And some of them were, you know, sort of neighborhood toughs that extorted money out of local businesses and that sort of thing. And then uh, during the uh, I guess it really started in 65, 66, I believe, mm-hmm. is is when the death squads uh, started rounding up communists and, and charging these uh, street hoods with dispatching accused communists in uh, Indonesia and the movie is very graphic in the telling of these stories even though it doesn't really depict anything that is you know gory I suppose I mean I was going to say disturbing but that's clearly not the case it's just mm-hmm. it I mean there's nothing uh well I mean there are a couple of scenes that are are kind of graphic but they're also fake and you know that mm-hmm. but the the thing that's really disturbing about the movie is to hear these guys who were responsible for hundreds if not thousands of murders and how they invented a cleaner way to kill people because oh, yeah. beating them to death was so messy mm-hmm. and and the the really interesting thing about the film too is that you see um, especially at the outset of the film, that there's uh, very much a sense that nobody really thinks about what they've done. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Anwar Congo is is the focus, but there's the um, uh, Kodo is sort of his buddy who um, also participated, and you know, several several individuals who were involved with this at the time. Mm-hmm. And there is very much this sense of it's sort of out of sight, out of mind that they acknowledge that it happened, but it's not something that they linger on or they've invented a narrative for themselves mm-hmm. that helps them sort of deal with what they've done. Mm-hmm. And throughout the film, you see that breakdown a little bit and, and you start to really get the sense that uh, particularly Congo is starting to internalize his actions in a way that maybe he hasn't for at least decades. Yeah. And, and, and there are other, you know, uh, there are other uh, leaders portrayed in the film who don't seem to have that internal debate. And there are some mm-hmm. who come right out and say like, no, what we did was wrong. We just won. And so we get to write the history of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a very affecting documentary. It's, it's, the thing that's most shocking to me about it is that the way that Indonesia exists today isn't that dissimilar. Mm-hmm. You know, there isn't the, 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 there aren't the, the death squads like they had then, but it's only because there's a fear that, Oh yeah, well, there's still, there are still people in uh, the, the, was it the Pashila oh, uh, yeah. youth group, which is basically just a, a you know, a bunch of thugs organized into a paramilitary force Mm -hmm. that is not part of the government, but is certainly an arm of the government. Mm -hmm. And, and that's sort of what keeps everyone in, in check is knowing that, you know, these people could come to your home and beat the hell out of you or worse. 
if if you're disagreeing with the government and uh, even the way that elections are basically just who can bribe this the voters the most. Yeah, yeah. And it's all really disturbing. Like I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I had never really considered Indonesia's political climate uh, too carefully. Mm-hmm. And seeing this movie just makes you think like this is just what a shithole of a country. It is just so corrupt. And, you know, the citizens seem to be sort of complicit in, in it in many, many ways. And, um, yeah, it's kind of terrible to watch. And I mean, again, I mean, it's, it's well done. And I think the, the documentarians do a really good job of staying as objective as they possibly can with only a couple of instances where they really try to dig into the psyche of their, their interview subjects a bit more. Mm Mm-hmm. And one when like the the director clearly says uh, like uh, Anwar Congo is showing his grandkids a scene where he's being interrogated. Yeah. And calls his grandkids into the room to watch this. And, and the director says, like, are you sure you want to do this? This is kind of inappropriate for kids. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, 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 it's fine. But even through that scene, you see that he starts to realize like, OK, maybe this isn't so fine. Um, yeah, it's, you know, my, my, here's my complaint with the movie, but, and, and then I'll, I'll open up the floor (laughs) to, to the Scottish delegation, but I watched the director's cut of this, which is two hours and 40 minutes ish. Mm -hmm. And there, there was definitely a point as I was watching the movie where I felt a real fatigue over what I was seeing and that's not to say that it wasn't worth watching, but I felt like there was a fair amount of repetition of look at how horrible these people are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that's necessarily a negative as it is that I just felt so worn down. And I know that the um, the regular cut or the theatrical cut of the film is about 40 minutes shorter Oh, right. And I could see where that might feel like just a much tighter pointed sort of narrative experience than, than this was, because there were times where this definitely felt a bit more meandering and that sort of thing. And particularly when you're dealing with, with such a emotionally difficult subject matter as Mm -hmm. the organized murder of, you know, what, what did they end up saying? Like a million plus people? Yeah, was it yeah, two yeah. million? It was, it was, it was, I think it was over two million. Yeah, and, you know, basically just a, a, a class of people that were eliminated because of, you know, in theory, their political leanings, but it certainly sounded as if that was an excuse at least mm-hmm. a, a large portion of the time. Oh yeah, when when you've got when you've got people in this movie saying that um, the you know they found out their father-in-law was a communist, so they just took them out and killed them, you know, because that's what you did. When you've got that sort of level of culture which they were going through at the time, it's it's crazy because I like yourself, I didn't know much about Indonesia at all, um, other than what I've read in books in terms of it'd be a fantastic place to visit. Look at all this history. Um, that's been scratched off the bucket list, by the way. Now, um, from seeing this, this, um, this, this movie, 
I also watched the director's cut. Uh, I just double checked. There definitely was the director's cut I saw, which is two hours and thirty nine minutes and change. I really, really like this documentary, and it's not because I'm a morbid person, but I think what was fascinating about this is is just how warped the country's sense of Western culture is. Like, how completely warped it was. I mean, even down to the fact that something along the lines of the word gangster in their translation in Indonesia means free man. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so even down to that, so them being free as individuals kind of justifies their use in killing people. You know, all that, you know, the, even the government, like you were saying, to this day still, I mean, there's a sequence where the, the deputy prime minister of their country speaks to a delegation of these radical youth people telling them that this country was built on their participation it's almost it, it evoked to me uh, obviously not a, as extreme as this but how every american president has to try and trace himself back to ireland for some reason um because gfk could um you've we had all those clips of obama and ireland um drinking guinness because, you know, you can trace Obama's family back to Ireland. And, you know, this way, almost that you have to acknowledge that somehow to gain legitimacy. I don't I don't know. It was really fucking strange. Um, but this movie is completely surreal in sections. The fact that you get... And it is essentially them telling you what, you, what they did and then you seeing a sequence that they've shot, like a short movie, um, which thematically changes depending on how they are, you know, how, what style of cinema they're shooting it in. So you get these weird musical... What what disturbed me quite a bit more um, was how this one kind of robust, rotund fellow, um, who is a military, paramilitary, was so easily, happily up for cross-dressing. He cross-dresses pretty much throughout this entire movie. Um, but how cold he is about what he did. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like they're all like having fun making movies about atrocities, and uh, Congo, the 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 guy that we're speaking about, at the very end of the movie, and this is what I mean. I was I, I was like thoroughly captivated by this this documentary, and the end was maybe the effect that I think you wanted me to have with Young at Heart, which is a movie we're about to speak about, um, which I never quite hit me there. But the, the the final sequences of that to killing were such an emotional punch to me that I, I didn't know how to react to it. Um, where he's watching back, you know, he's done this one particular sequence, which is this kind of crime, kind of noirish sort of sequence where he's being interrogated, tortured, and they eventually put... What is like a makeshift garrote, which is the what they use to basically kill people and stop the blood going everywhere. It's like a more efficient way of killing. And this guy had invented this technique. This Anwar Congo guy had invented this technique. And not only had he invented this technique, he, at the very beginning of the movie, he takes you to a, a terrace on top of a like a property where he tells you that thousands of people have died here at his hands. He killed thousands of people. And he's talking about it so nonchalant and off the cuff and he's having a laugh with his friend about it. You know, but it was just easier to do it this way, wasn't it? Because, you know, all the blood we had to clean up. And he sits down and it, when they're filming the sequence, he can't go through with it. He just, he, he, get, he, he lets it get too much in his head. And even the guy says to him, don't let it get into your head, you're just playing a part. And then when he's watching it back, he says to the filmmaker, um, you know, I think what I'm feeling now is what the people 
that I killed felt. You know, they've been broken down. They have nothing left. The fear starts to, you know, you've been humiliated. The fear starts to to creep in and all the rest. And the filmmaker just says to him very calmly that, no, what the people, you know, the people you killed felt was completely different because when you're filming those sequences, you know that's a movie. Those people knew they were going to die. And this overwhelms them. And it's like you say, almost these repressed 30 years, 40 years possibly of feelings. Because he tells you throughout the movie he, he has this recurring nightmare because he once killed a person and he never closed the person's eyes after killing him. And this this haunts him. This haunts him to this day. It keeps coming back. And we return to that same roof terrace and he's walking about and he starts retching. He starts like like throwing up, basically, and it's just the gravity of everything coming back and hitting him. And I don't think I've ever seen a documentary ever which has done that, which has basically made someone confront what they had. I mean, you see things in the past. I've seen loads of documentaries. Like if you watch Michael Moore and, you know, you watch Bowling for Columbine, for an example, where they basically stand face-to-face with people that are so gun-pro and all the rest, and make them face the atrocities that these things have caused, and they just dis- they try and pass off on other people. They don't accept it. This is the first documentary I've ever seen where someone does a complete 180 throughout the movie, and at the end of the movie, he looks old. The guy looks... He looks like he's aged, like 20 years in the space of 10 minutes on the screen. And it was so incredibly powerful, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I can kind of see what you're saying in terms of the, it does feel like the movie on an extent is just saying, this is a horrible thing and then they did this horrible thing and then they did this horrible thing and it beats you over the head with it. I, I don't know if seeing the original theatrical cut will change that, to, to be honest with you. I don't know, thinking back on it, of what sequence you could take out that I would really want them to take out, because even though I felt the movie was long, I felt that everything that happened in this had its place. And I think, on some level, the movie's mission is to wear you down. Is to, I mean, we see so many movies where people, especially if you watch horror, where people are killed, and you get desensitised to that. Five minutes of them talking about the modern people, and I was so uncomfortable and so aware of absolutely everything in the room and just my senses were completely heightened and that carried it right through to the very end. Um, This is not a documentary for everyone. I would never... I mean, had I seen it before, I don't even know if I would have recommended it, Um, even though I think it's probably one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Um, Yeah. It's really really weird to talk about. It's... Yeah. I've never... Yeah. It's hard not to discuss it as you know a film but Mm. what it is representative of is just some of the most atrocious human behavior that you can imagine yeah and and there's a really again to call it a great scene is awkward because it but but it is a great scene It, it is fascinating to watch where they're they're shooting a scene and one of one of the actors involved is telling a story about his stepfather that you alluded to earlier of being yeah. a kid and seeing his, his stepfather uh, be accused of being a communist and taken away. Mm-hmm. And then they found his body just in a sack later, you know? Mm-hmm. And as he's telling the story though, he's laughing and, yeah. and telling the, you know, these thugs 
uh, who were, you know, could have even been directly responsible for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he keeps assuring them like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not criticizing what you did. I'm saying if you want to use that story or use it for motivation. Yeah. But, but as he's telling the story, you can clearly see that it is a very thinly veiled, you know, uh, statement by this guy of like, here's what you did. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, I, I can, I can personally attest to the fact that you just dragged someone from their home and murdered them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's harrowing. You know, it's, it's a scene that will certainly linger long with me. Yeah. What about, uh, here's, here's a, here's a really interesting one as well. And this alludes to what you were saying as well. Um, Early on in the movie, right at the very beginning, they go into a small town and they say they're going to make this movie and they try and look for volunteers and they go up and ask a woman if she'll play a communist and she flat out says no and she's terrified and she walks away and they turn around and say to the camera, I think she thinks that if we ask her to play the part of a communist, we will kill her because she's a communist. Yeah. And that's how ingrained it is. 50 years on in their society, that's how ingrained it is that you can't even begin to even mention that word for fear that you would still... And that's what you're saying. The country hasn't really moved on. Yeah. I, I genuinely think... I, I mean, and they're, they're talking about particular people and they're going, he's a communist. You know, he's lucky I, I, I'm, I'm not still doing what I was doing in the day because he wouldn't be around. And it's just off-the-cuff comments. One of them, the guy you're talking about, the guy who seems a bit more okay with things he's not really but you know he kind of you know he's the guy that says well the the victors he's the one that they say could be brought for war trial uh, war crimes and he basically says you know well we were the victors and history is written by the victors and you know what we did was wrong but and there's at a point in this he's like that i don't think we should be saying any more about what we did in front of these filmmakers um and you get the you get the hint that what we're hearing is almost the radio friendly versions of what these guys did mm-hmm. that this guy has so much more horrible th- and that that disturbs me because what i'm hearing terrifies me to my bone um and then you hear this guy basically saying i you know there's certain things we really shouldn't be saying on here no i'm not going to talk anymore about it and then you think to yourself oh my god what else happened uh, just, oh yeah yeah, I'm, I'm actually, <laughs> in a lot of respects, I'm actually really looking forward to going and chatting about the next movie, um, which which is a bit more um, life-inspiring than than this one, because I think, um, in contrast, this movie depicts everything that could be... It's like you say, it, it makes you question humanity in general and its purpose. Yeah, well, um, and there's clearly no punishment... No. ...for, yeah, for the... A- I mean, aside from whatever is self-inflicted, that's it. Yeah. I mean, these guys are never going to be punished by the government because the government still considers them heroes. And yeah, the, and yeah. there are, you know, they show clips from a, a film that every school-age child is shown every year that mm-hmm. celebrates these guys and, and this paramilitary force and all that. And it just, it, I mean, it seems, it seems unthinkable that in a, a modern world that this still happens. You know, yeah. and it, particularly something like Indonesia, which you don't you don't consider a third world country necessarily, or at least mm-hmm. that that's not my first association with it. But based on everything you see in this movie, it certainly seems like, you know, at, at, like you said, they're, they're taking elements of Western culture, but learning all the wrong lessons from it, you know, mm-hmm. and it's the celebration of violence that they get behind and not 
you know, you, you do you see the human cost of that in terms of their own uh, realizations about what they've done and, and meditating about what they've done more so than they have in years and years, probably. And, mm-hmm. and, and without the benefit of someone saying what a great thing it is that you did it. You know, these are documentarians who are saying, oh, we just want to know what you did. We're not passing judgment. But mm-hmm. but it's in the objective look at it that you get the these reactions where they start to realize, you know, with, with some exceptions. There There's the the one, uh, you know, uh, that's kind of high up in the Pashila uh, military group when they're reenacting the big uh, village scene. Mm-hmm. And he's very casually talking about like the rape of fourteen-year-old girls. Yeah, yeah. And, oh God. And you're ju- you. And again, it, the thing that's most horrifying about it is that he he'll never be punished for it. He's going to go to his grave and probably be comfortable. Certainly, in in terms of the country he's living in, more mm-hmm. comfortable than most after committing all these atrocities. And it yeah, it is really it's something to see. Um, and it, it, it's not, it's not a happy movie. No, I, I think, I think, um, that, like, like what I was saying, I, I mean, I think it's a, an excellent movie. I just can't see if, if you genuinely don't have a tolerance for, for even things as simple as a serial killer documentary, then do not watch that to kill an, and do not sit down to watch that to kill an, and, Expect. I mean, that we're hardened. Me and Bo have watched movies like Cannibal Holocaust, and yeah, they've upset us. But we're, you know, we're, you know, we're still here. Um, this movie genuinely is one of the most terrifying things I've ever, I've ever heard. I mean, it's, it's like, I, you know, we we hear about things like the Holocaust so much, and they're, you know, they're taught in schools and all the rest, and we think, you know, these are the big atrocities that have happened. You know, like. In recent history, and then you hear about these things, and you wonder about how many other countries out there went through things like that. I mean, you're over two million, over two million people just wiped out in the space of two years, yeah, um, by death squads. And these people, like you say, but will never, never have to atone uh, for anything they've done. They'll just, ah, yeah, my God, right, uh, yeah. Unless you've got anything else to say, we should move on. I think I, the only thing I have left to say is. Duncan, do you enjoy music? <laughs> I do enjoy music, Bo. Let's let's uh, discuss then a documentary all about music. Yes. All right. We'll be right back. <laughs> Part three: History's greatest monster. All right. Welcome back. Uh, after going through uh, the muck and mire of a movie <laughs> like The Act of Killing, not not to impugn the quality of it, but mm. boy. What a tough watch. Mm. And then we have uh, the movie I presented to Duncan, which I had uh, I had seen um, not long after it was released, uh, a film called Young at Heart, uh, which was a 2007 release. The quick synopsis is uh, a documentary on a course of senior citizens from Massachusetts uh, who cover songs by Jimi Hendrix, Coldplay, Sonic Youth, and other unexpected musicians. And that is superficially what the film is about. It doesn't. Ju- it doesn't do justice to the the movie at all, Rob. Yes, it, it, that makes it sound. And and, and I'll tell you, but before I I let you loose on this, mm-hmm. this is a movie that when I went into it, I really expected it to be, um, a bit saccharine, mm-hmm. and, and and to the point of being twee, and 
what this documentary does, I think, is something entirely different. Um, just to give a, a slight cultural uh, perspective on this movie, the United States is not a country that enjoys talking about old people or dying. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, we are a very youth obsessed culture. And this movie uh, worked for me in a, in a lot of ways because it is a very frank look at the end of some of, of these folks' lives. Uh, there is a segment of the film where a couple of people drop like flies. Mm-hmm. But it is, it, it's a very like fresh and interesting look at what it means to be an elderly person and, and, and sort of uh, the need for passion. But uh, I will shut up about it. Duncan, what did you think about the, uh, the delightful young at heart? Well, we'll kick off with the, the, the first thing, which was when you originally announced this was the film I was going to do, you made a statement. And your statement that you made was, you will cry at this movie. And I told you, I'm notoriously, if, if I didn't know medically that I had tear ducts, I would assume I didn't. I can count on less than two fingers the amount of times I've cried in the last 20 years. So, um, because you're I history's sh- greatest monster, go yeah, on. I'm ha- <laughs> <laughs> because I, it's just not something that I do, um, at all. And so I was like, that, you know, I don't know, Bo, this, you know, you're making statements here, you're like, watch this movie. So I watched it. And for those that don't know out there, I am a musician. That's where my first love is, it's music. Cinema is a very, very, very close second, but I've always been very passionate about music. Um, It was the first interest that I had as a child that really developed into like a a full-on obsession. And so when you told me it was, you know, you need to watch this, and I did a quick Google check and found out that it was about, you know, senior citizens in America singing cover songs. I instantly had me straight away. I didn't even need to know that the cover songs were by acts that I knew. They could have just been singing songs, you know, from I don't know something like you know, like from from swing classics from the nineteen twenties or Gregorian chant. I would have still watched this movie because it's got music involved with it. Love music documentaries. So, um, and basically, what you have is you have a, a guy who happens to be a documentary filmmaker who happened at one point to see Young at Heart as they performed in Europe. Um, he's an English gentleman, and he has decided to basically follow them six weeks before their new launch of their new programme. So basically, uh, this is the, the six weeks before they put out their new programme, the group vet assembles, very much like musicians do in general. Bands will reform um, just before they do a tour, a couple of weeks before, to work out what they're going to do, how their sets are going to be. So basically, we join them at that point, and we find out that when they see senior citizens, they mean senior citizens. This isn't like folks that have just hit retirement age. One of the women, and I genuinely didn't believe when they even said that her age was 92, I could not believe that she was 92, Just and she's English as well, mm-hmm. uh, which was quite funny, but by how sprite she was on her feet, um, and how 
overtly flirtatious she was with every man. Um, she's <laughs> a Ryan. charmer. Like you, I, I immediately fell in love with that character. Yeah, she's yeah. A, a phenomenal character, and uh, you fall in love with quite a lot of these characters. Even even the more incompetent ones who have just lost it through age are in, uh, completely endearing to you. And you find yourself, I found myself, like you basically have this guy who puts on the shows and it started off as a small project and through time it's become bigger and bigger. And he introduces like songs which would not be your normal choice. I mean, they, they have particular songs in there which are very much, you would imagine, be fitted to a group of senior citizens. But when they kick off with uh, the very first song he wants them to sing, it's something by Sonic Youth. And you're like, Really? <laughs> really and he lets them hear it and their faces are oh this is horrible and they don't like it and all the rest and he turns around to the camera and he's like that i give him a couple of weeks and this will be one that you know they'll really get behind and by god by the end of it they'll love it and it's like he he hears something in this music which he knows that through time these senior citizens will grow to to love like you see um during the filmmaking a couple of them have particularly poor health um and these people pass on which adds a degree of poignancy to the end. And this was the sequence where you basically thought, you know, this will extract tears from your eye ducts. Um, and it, it, it kind of culminates, because we go through the very pushy nature of this guy who's basically trying to get, you know, he's very frustrated. Well, like, even down to things like one guy when they're singing um, I Feel Good, which is like one of my favourite songs ever uh, by James Brown. And... Um, this guy can't remember his lines, so he just keeps repeating the same line. I feel good, and I knew that I would, because I feel good, and I knew that I would. And he's like, oh, come on, right, it's this line. And the guy can't get it, and he gets frustrated with him. And for a while, I didn't like this guy, because I'm like, they're old people. But he, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're like, this is what he expect When you're his age, going, you try and remember lyrics to a song that he'd never... And the guy tells you, you get their background, don't let these people listen to classical music. They grew up listening to classical music. In their old age, they listen to classical music. They're not going to know. They'll know who James Brown is, but they might not necessarily have ever listened to James Brown um, and find it difficult to memorise lyrics. And this guy is quite nasty. But then you find out through the movie that he is serving a purpose. He's kind of harsh on them because, to an extent, it's given them something to focus on. And this is this kind of comes back to this underlying issue of what you're saying about Americans kind of not focusing on old people or death, you know, because as as it's a morbid topic that maybe they don't want to kind of focus on. What this guy is basically doing is taking people that still have a lot of life left in them and giving them the opportunity to channel that into something creative. Um, there's a couple of renditions of particular songs on there where the 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 the, the older people are singing them and they sing different notes and. As a musician, I was hearing that going, oh, I like that. And then he's going, oh, no, I like that. Focus on that note. Because they're not just covering songs, they're making them their own, which every good cover should be. It should be someone else's spin on a particular thing. Like every good remake of a movie should be someone else's take on it. What we get at the end is we get, there's two two particular people that have had mega health issues that were involved with the the program very early on had been kind of favourites that are brought back in 
that are very energetic and kind of vitalised to be brought back in, one of which takes a very bad turn. And you hear this guy's had more lives than a cat. I think he's died like about six times on the table and come back. And unfortunately, he finally passes away, which is a big blow to the group. But then the guy that they've basically put on the very front of their poster, um, he passes away within like a week or something. And it really kind of knocks the spirit of the group. Um, which culminates in the the other very sick gentleman um, doing a, a version of Fix You by Coldplay. And I likened it to you when I was speaking to you um, kind of over messages and stuff like that, that to me it is basically this movie's Johnny Cash version of the Nine Inch Nails song Hurt um, because the guy has a very deep voice. He's a, you know, he's a bass bass tone singer um, and he sings the song and it is incredibly emotional because not only is it emotional that this guy's singing it and he's singing it with so much emotion behind it but you have lived through the experiences of what ha- what has happened in the last weeks um, and the song somehow becomes strangely apt um, yeah to... and it was supposed to be a, a duet between yeah, with the guy yeah. who had passed away and he's taken over and he basically says this is the only time he's doing this song he's never going to sing it again and he has to this guy has to leave the group as well afterwards just through health and arguably puts on a performance which which is very emotionally charged uh, to the audience and not even just audience in there but to the person watching the movie like i say because you have went through the six weeks building up to this um it is a, in a weird way, an incredibly uplifting documentary which uh, kind of shines a spotlight on the fact that you're never too old to do something creative or do something that you love. And if you have an interest, you're never too old to pursue it, um, which is a message that I think sometimes gets lost in today's society when you've got everything at your fingertips um, and you're just used to, you want to listen to an album which you don't own three clicks later. You you don't own it, you've stole it and you can listen to it. Um, I, there's no kind of pride of property or, or, or kind of pride of ownership of things and what this group is. Um, first and foremost is a group of people that had they not got that group maybe would deteriorate quicker than they do but the fact that they can all come together from different walks different backgrounds different upbringings they all have a love of music and I've always said music is a universal language you know every culture has it um, you can I could go into a Japanese bar tomorrow and sit down at a piano and play and people would know uh, how I was feeling by what I was playing. Um, And that is the power of music. Um, And that kind of is captured in this documentary. I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was a really, really, really good documentary. And like you say, it could so easily have been cringe-inducing and very, very twee. But they managed to keep it on point. They managed to put it forward in a way which is very fun. The whole feel of the 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 thing they do they do a show at a prison, very Johnny Cash. Now that we're talking about Johnny Cash, uh, they do their version of kind of their their kind of fulsome prison um, right. kind of sequence, <laughs> and um, they, they go up there and they sing their songs, and you can see. I, I don't believe that all the inmates were completely genuine with their emotions because there was cameras on them, but you could see when the camera was panning around certain folk clapping their hands, smiling and tapping their feet 
Uh, and that's the power of music. Um, yeah, it was a really, really, really good documentary. Really enjoyed it. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I I am not ashamed to say that the Fix You moment makes me ball like a <laughs> uh, I am not a particular Coldplay fan. Uh, oh, I hate Coldplay as well. That's why when that song came up, when they said they were going to do it, I was like, oh, fuck my life. I'm not going to get through this without shouting at it. But they make it their own. By by really only the only thing they've got is a singer who doesn't sound like he's been like he's had his nutsack trapped in his zip, <laughs> um, which is basically what that guy from Coldplay sounds like at times. Sounds like a cat trapped in a bin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, this guy actually every word was really weighty and emotional, and um, it was a very good version. So I, it doesn't surprise me. I think if my I told my wife that if she sat in my wife. Uh, I had asked me about this movie and I was like, ah, you quite like this, but I'm like that. I would have to, I'd probably have to console you at the end of it because you'd be bawling like a baby. Yeah, well, but like you said, there's something really optimistic about it too because every everyone seems to acknowledge that even though there are uh, members of this chorus that pass away during the, the course of uh, the filming of the documentary and also uh, getting the show together, that there's never a question of should we cancel a show or anything like that because every member of the chorus is there to you know sort of celebrate the life that they they're living at this point mm-hmm. and to not do the show is a greater insult than you know to to carry on uh in, instead of mourn a loss and um, doesn't the, doesn't the English lady say at one point she's like that I have told everyone on here that if I die during a performance just kind of carry me off the stage and continue on and I think that sums up the spirit of everyone involved like all the performers are like that you know the show is important and we all give time to the show and it's not just one person um, and whilst there are tragedies that happen it's it's more I don't know, there's something about it. It's just like a really positive, optimistic vibe, which you wouldn't necessarily expect from a group of people at that age. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And, it, and I think it's particularly touching um, for us humans, Duncan, that... <laughs> that, <laughs> that that the film is not only dedicated to the two members of the course that you see uh, die throughout the course of the film... But also the English lady that uh, passed away in between completion of filming and the release of the movie. And, you know, and she was a a very old lady. I mean, she died at 92, 93. But it's still tragic because you really do. She is such a funny, vibrant person. And it's, you know. As with all things, it, it it is about loss. I mean, both of these movies that we talked about are sort of about death, but in very different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, well, I I say we we hash this out. <laughs> yes, let's do that now. All right, we'll be right back to uh, to decide who has in fact come most correct. Part four, one thousand percent more karate. <laughs> okay, all right, let's uh, we're back. Well, let's let's do this. We are. I, I want to launch a, a defense of, of Young at Heart. And the reason I do that is because the act of killing is unquestionably a more important film 
in terms of its subject matter. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we're going to argue that point. Here's the defense of the of Young at Heart <laughs> that I would offer as as the better of the two films. Um, one, it's shorter. Mm-hmm. Two, <laughs> um, because I knew like documentaries have a tendency to be about very he- heavy subjects. I think that Young at Heart is one of a handful of document documentaries that is actually incredibly positive. And despite the fact that it deals with, with fairly weighty matters is ultimately a celebration. And it's not in any, by, by any means is it as heavy a film as the act of killing. But I also think that that makes it a more universal film than the act of mm-hmm. killing. Like, I feel like young at heart, I could easily recommend to anyone I ran into on the street. And I feel like they would enjoy that. The Act of Killing is a movie that you have to offer with a warning. And and even then, there are some people who just would not be able to handle it as a film. Mm-hmm. So there therein lies my argument for Young at Heart. <laughs> right. Um, I See, I can't argue against what you've said. Um, I, I will say that to me, I gravity i tend to gravitate towards more hard-hitting documentaries than i i do necessarily feel good documentaries i mean all my favorite documentaries are but the only feel good documentary that i could ever say you know i could shove this on at any time and recommend it to anyone that i mean i hold in a high regard is when we were kings i don't know if you've ever seen that which is um basically it's a bbc documentary of the ali oh yeah it's one of my favorite documentaries ever because it just encapsulates an entire mood an entire vibe and an entire movement towards what was at the time one of the biggest build sporting events of all time um and I love that documentary. Love that. Um, and that, to an extent, is a feel-good documentary as well, even though it's clearly more feel-good for one person than it is on the other side. Um, I, you know, I tend not to gravitate to that. I tend to gravitate towards things like um, something like The Smartest Guys in the Room or, a, you know, Enron or some, you know, the Enron documentary The Smartest Guys in the Room or, a, you know, something by Michael Moore, which is, you know... Uh, at times overtly political. I, I like political things. I like serial killer documentary. I like all that stuff. To me, the act of killing is one of, if I might be the only documentary that I've ever seen that has one made me feel terrible. Um, I'll, I'll put that out. And it depends if that's what you're looking for in a movie. Made me feel terrible, but two has so clearly shown a change in and the person that follows from start to end. Like I said, when we were talking about it in the segment, I've never seen a documentary where someone 180s on the position from the start solely by being shown what he's done. I mean, I've, I've seen documentaries on killers who have no remorse over what they've done or, you know, company CEOs that have no, no sympathy for the amount of money they've embezzled from your average person or, you know, um, or anything like that where there is a clear mission for this the documentary filmmakers wanted to bring something out which was basically to show you atrocities and I believe in the background wanted to make these people 
confront the atrocities and get the reaction that they want, what they got at the end from the one person who at the very beginning was so blasey about it all. His his character change as a as a you know as a human being, not as a character, but his change by the end of that documentary is so powerful. Uh, one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. It's not a feel-good documentary, and I couldn't recommend it to everyone, but on some level, that's what, that makes it even more endearing to me. Um, Young at Heart is a phenomenal documentary, on the other hand, which does make you appreciate everything you have, um, and almost the reverse way to watching the act of killing it makes you appreciate life it makes you it's inspiring um first and foremost and it's near impossible for me to if i was going with what was the better movie it's the act of killing because i think it's just all rimmed it's a better movie yet it runs a bit long but that's because we deliberately watched the director's cut um, so we've purposely watched the longer version, so I can't then mark it as a criticism because we've watched the longer version. Because that's not the version that was intended. The version that was intended was shorter. And if it's shorter by 40 minutes, then that negates that argument. I, I really enjoyed the longer version, though. That to Killing uh, is, to me, is the is a phenomenal documentary. It's powerful. Um, Young at Heart is powerful to you in a completely different way, which I could kind of get behind, but I couldn't. That end that you got didn't hit me the same way, but I, I, I can appreciate it, and I quite like the message behind it. Um, Bo, I will be honest, I can't pick one between the two, and if I was completely forced, I would probably have to pick my movie. Um, let me let me make this easier for you. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. I think The Act of Killing is the better film. Uh-huh. Uh, I think you have, in fact, come most correct, much as it pains me to say it. Yeah, um, but but yeah, but I don't think uh, Young at Heart's a phenomenal documentary. I mean, if it's everything that I mean, I I can't mark it down either. You know what I mean? I I just uh, the response I got is more tailored to my taste in the act of killing than it is at Young at Heart. But I think Young at Heart, like you see, you could give this to anyone. You I could well, I could sit my daughter down and watch Young at Heart, and she would watch it happily, and she probably nod her head along with all the songs and all the rest whilst you couldn't do that with Act of Killing at all I think there's a very niche group of people that will be able to sit through that that documentary um, but I think it's also a movie that I can recommend because I feel like it's an important movie for people to mm. see you know I yeah. unlike Young at Heart Young at Heart definitely makes me feel good and I enjoy uh going through the journey with all all these uh members of the chorus and all that and and it is a wonderful documentary it's actually one of my favorites i think it's it's a very sweet film without being a little too syrupy and all that but um but i think the act of killing is is a movie that changed fundamentally changed my view of an entire country Mm. as well as gave me a sense of that country's history that i didn't have and like you said, you know, I, I probably would have told you prior to watching it, like, oh, yeah, well, I'd love to visit Indonesia. Yeah, never, and, never in a million years will I go anywhere near that country. Right. No, that seems like a horrible, awful place. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, granted, we're being presented with the worst of what this country has to offer. But, yeah. you know, you're only as good as your weakest link. And, you know, it's still a country that very, uh, you know, it, it colludes with gangsters and not 
stream in openly, it as they, yeah but yeah openly colludes i mean they, that's the scary thing about the documentary is nothing is hidden in this documentary everything's put up front exactly uh when you see the politicians you know actively shaking hands with them and holding rallies and all the rest and you're like these are murderers these are murderers. These are not free men. That that term free men you have distorted and twisted to justify the horrible things you've done. Yeah, yeah. Oh, scary stuff. It, it is the movie that I would say that everyone may not be able to watch, but I feel like everyone should watch just to have an appreciation for the kind of things that happen in the world around us. You know, I mean, we, we're, we're very lucky, uh, you and I, in the sense that we live in... in in places that are ultimately very civilized and where something like that would be an outrage and, and not just part of our, you know, I mean, and they kind of reference within uh, the act of killing when they're talking about America and they're like, well, you know, there was the slaughter of the native Americans and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, truly that's something that we don't talk about a whole lot, but I don't think that there's anyone who, stands on the wrong side of history with that anymore. I think we like as a nation, it's not something we like to bring up, but I think we do acknowledge that a, it happened and B that it was a terrible thing. And that yeah. it was, it, it was a crime this country perpetrated against the people. It's, yeah. It's the same in, in my country as pertains to things like India and Pakistan, which were colonies, which we had very much underfoot and committed horrible things. And there's no, there's no prime minister or president, you know, sorry, or, or, or monarch in our country coming out and saying, well, you know, uh, well, we won, so we get to write the history books about it. And Kent, they had it coming, really. You know, we would never do that. And the, it's, it's so, it's like they take what we consider as democracy and values and, and all the rest in here. And they, it's like, it's almost as if they had a book about our cultures translated to them by someone that couldn't quite read English and kind of messed the words up. They, they seem to take, the, they have a really skewed view of what Western civilization is like and the ideals and when they put it in their own country. It is monstrous, it is monstrous and horrible. And um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, uh, I, uh, yeah. I'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> you could honestly spend hours discussing everything that happens in that movie and still and all you would do is feel more worse about everything in the world um which i think in some level might be the documentary filmmakers point yeah yeah and i i think you're right that very subtly they are holding up a mirror to these guys and and making them reflect on on what they've done but mm. it's uh yeah it's a real a real strong recommend once again Ugh, Duncan, you are on some <laughs> some kind of roll here. Um, so I'll have to figure out a way to stack the deck in my favor. Yeah, for yeah, the yeah. next one. Uh, I'm sure. I'm. I'm sure. There's one thing I have learned doing this show, Bo, is to never count you out because when I feel my most smug, that's when you put me back in my place and remind me that you are in the world's greatest country and I am in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> I I appreciate you saying that. Uh, <laughs> Um, all right, well, let's uh, let's talk about what we've got coming up. Oh, by the way, I do want to plug uh, real quickly the uh, Boz versus Halloween series mm-hmm. that you ran. And yeah. I, if you haven't listened to it, for God's sake, what are, what are you doing with your life? You you should go 
uh, either to uh, Duncan's webpage, uh, the podcast under the stairs.wordpress.com. Do I have that right? That's spot on. And, or you can go to Legion podcast and it links, uh, from the menu right there. And yeah, it's, that was a lot of fun. I haven't listened to them all yet because, uh, they, they came out so fast and furious, but yeah, I did. I, I put, I put a lot of work in the last couple of weeks. Um, what you will learn through listening to that is how very quickly someone can go from being terrified of certain movies to blatantly hating them and tearing them apart. And it is, is, is a wonderful thing to see uh, basically someone who had next to no knowledge about horror speak very much like I do about these movies. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, so in addition to to that series of uh, podcasts, which I highly, highly recommend, uh, what else you got coming up? Um, still doing stuff on the Midnight Horror Show. Uh, we've just finished our Halloween shows, uh, which I'm quite glad. My liver is very thankful for that. Um, a lot of alcohol was consumed over those five weeks. Um, and I think uh, there's going to be a slight change in the format of the show moving on. We basically said that this closes out uh, the the first year of the return of the Midnight Horror Show. Second year moving forward, we're going to be doing things slightly different. I'm very much looking forward to that. Podcast Under the Stairs-wise, um, the next episode, we're taking a week off. We're going to come back with Bazzy's Anniversary Show, Bazzy Horror Anniversary Show, where it's going to be very much open to the listeners to submit questions, and we'll go re- relive some of the best moments of Baz um, from the first year of podcasting. Um, and then that will be followed up by a marked change in the way the show is presented, um, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, I'm going to try and make it one of the most unique listens out there. The, the, the hope is that when you listen to the podcast under the stairs, it will be unlike any other podcast in your, your podcast feed. Um, and hopefully I can achieve that. Uh, we'll wait and see. Um, and I believe I'll be joining... Uh, you for Devour the Podcast for Friday uh, 13th Part 5 coming up and also over in Graveshift Radio where for some reason uh, Ryan's decided that you should all be a glutton for punishment and go through some of the Exorcist sequels um, and prequels yeah and prequels of which I enjoy one yeah Um, so the rest bad um, but I enjoy one and getting a chance to chat about that one almost almost makes up for all the the bad cinema we're going to have to watch well in fairness there's also going to be a really hilarious conversation about exorcist 2 the heretic yeah i hate that movie i can't wait yeah yeah (laughs) we all do injustifiably (laughs) i i may have mistakenly referred to you as history's greatest monster before because exorcist 2 (laughs) may be history's greatest monster and you're like runner-up (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah it's a fuck that movie honestly oh my god yeah how can you go so wrong with a sequel i don't get it yeah it's yeah, yeah well, well we'll get into that in detail another time but it is tr- <laughs> yeah no it, it is a movie that completely misses the point of the original exorcist yeah you know which i guess you have to give them at least a little credit maybe for trying to do something <laughs> different but and, and consistently missing the boat. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's nothing good about it. Uh, which which is a real shame. Yeah, that's that's one of the bigger fall offs, I think, in cinema history. Like even with something like Jaws two, mm. which uh, as much as I love Jaws and it, it certainly is one of my favorite films, the second one is kind of inoffensive. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it tries to hit some of the same character beats and so forth and doesn't really succeed. But, you know, there are way worse sequels out there. Yeah. And, eh, anyway. <laughs> We'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm looking forward to having that discussion. So, And you kind of stole uh, all the stuff I'm doing. We're doing Friday the 13th Part 5, uh, mm-hmm. continuing that series. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about that and then not thinking about it again. Um, although, although that's a movie, like, there are things I genuinely enjoy about Part 5. Yeah. But... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, we will get into that. I have a lot of love for that movie. I will at no point claim that as a great movie, though. I just think there's a lot of things in it which are just fucking bananas and so much fun. And uh, yeah, and there, there's uh, exactly a thousand percent more karate in that movie than you think there should be. <laughs> Uh, yeah. You know, when you think Friday the Thirteenth, you don't think jujitsu. Yeah, <laughs> and and yet that movie has some. So yeah, it's it's kind of wonderful that way. Um, so yeah, so that and then Grave Shift. Uh, yeah, it's like you're invading you're invading all my space, man. You're all yeah. up in my shit. <laughs> You'll be sick of me soon. Yeah, if you're not already. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how how could I be there? You're always a delight, you know, at least while we're on the air. Um, <laughs> but uh, other than that, you know, uh, the usual plugs for uh, legionpodcast.com where you can get uh, all the all the, the shows that you're hearing about. And um, you can follow on Twitter at Legion Podcasts. Uh, which will give you the news and updates as uh, that hits your iTunes feed as well as uh, a subscribe button right there. And by all means, uh, you can leave the uh, the feed itself, the entire Legion Podcast Network, a review. Uh, and it helps. So, you know, if you listen to the show and not just this one, but a couple of shows on the on the network, then uh, drop us a line. Let us know. And, and for this show, uh, I always forget, for this show, you can contact us at dbcc at dbcc dbcc podcast yeah dot com dbcc yes. at dbcc podcast.com and and uh jeez i get like it's too many c's that's the problem <laughs> i start i start saying the letter c and i just keep going but uh yeah you can drop us a line let us know if there's a movie you would like to hear us talk about and the other plug i would give is that if you uh keep an eye out for festival news because mm-hmm. lost after dark is playing at uh multiple festivals we just got we're, we're gonna do uh one in portugal i just found out <laughs> that's awesome so that's pretty cool um i'm not sure how the movie is gonna play in portugal but uh so far the reviews have been very kind and and so i i've almost i keep saying surprisingly positive as if like i thought the movie was crap and then <laughs> And and then like we get good reviews and I'm like oh heavens to Betsy how did they how could they like it uh, I'm just very pleased that people seem to kind of get what we were going for and and uh, it's you know we've gotten I and I I feel bad because I've only posted up like positive reviews but that's all we've gotten so I'm really looking forward I, w- I was telling the director this recently like it's the internet so there's some asshole out there that is going to hate the movie because other people like it. 
Yeah. And I I want to read that review. Like I I want to get the bad review under the belt just so I can kind of move on with my life and not think like, well, one of these days, you know, somebody's really going to shit on this. Uh but it hasn't happened yet. So I I should be thankful, but I'm all too often a glasses half empty kind of guy. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've gotten really nice reviews. Where's the bad one? Yeah. So <laughs> Um, it, you know, the, my, my running line has been like, I, the review that I expect to see just because of my nature is that if cancer could get cancer, it would be this movie. <laughs> I might hold on to that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And in, in fact, uh, one, once we, uh, get all our distribution announced and, and dates and whatnot, I'll get you a copy, and that should be your review. Just a one-line review from Duncan <laughs> McLeish. Oh. You can even put it... You don't even have to review it. Just put it all in the title. <laughs> and then a picture of poop. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's so, so awesome. <laughs> that, uh, but that's, the scary thing is, that's what the internet's like, though. I mean, that's what we were laughing about, but that's what the internet's like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that's what I keep telling uh, Ian, uh, you know, who's like, why would we, you know, maybe we won't ever get a bad review. It's like, it's the internet, man. Yeah, there's, there will be someone out there that will do it just for the sake of doing it. Right, like, I read a good review of this movie, then I went to see it, and I felt like somebody had raped me in a shower, you know? <laughs> You're like, well, that's inappropriate. Yeah, that you know, if if cancer got cancer, this would be this movie, and then underneath it would have Sven fourteen Sweden. You know, right. <laughs> so that, you know, I mean, this is that's what you deal with. You just ah uh, yeah, uh, yeah. No, that's excellent. No, I'm really looking forward to checking it out. Um, I never had any doubts that it was gonna. I was going to because you, you were. I I know what sort of person you're like, Bo, and I I imagine that if you had seen the movie and you didn't think it was a good version of what you had penned, then you would be the first person to see it. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's, I think that, I think you have a genuine quality that I think people, if you're excited about it, not solely because it's your story, but if you're excited about it and you're saying these things, it doesn't surprise me that other people out there are saying them as well. So I can't wait to check out. Yeah. It, it's a super fun movie, I think. And, and that's the, the reaction we've gotten from the audiences, never mind the reviews, but the, the actual audiences that have seen the movie, um, that's the recurring theme is that everyone seems to come out of it saying, like, that was a really fun time. And, mm. you know, you can't really ask for more. If <laughs> Entertaining should be, you know, part of what movies are, unless they're the act of killing, in which case they should <laughs> soul-crushing meditations on the capacity for human evil. <laughs> Oh my god, that movie! That movie, man. Honestly, uh... <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll tell you what. I feel like I need a shower and probably a hug. <laughs> uh, so we'll we'll probably wrap it up here. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> Only to return in a fortnight. Oh yes, well well used. So. With <laughs> yeah. see, I was trying to be cool about it that time, and if you call it out, it's way I'm... less cool. I can't help it. I'm going to call it out every time you say it because it brings me joy. <laughs> I will refuse your joy, sir. 
Uh, <laughs> it's like what happens when a band plays on stage or anyone does any sort of public speaking and they name the area they're in and everyone cheers every <laughs> single time they, every single time they say it that's what Fortnite is like to me <laughs> Fortnite is the vocabulary version of your hometown yeah pretty much <laughs> now I feel like the Eagles you know like cruising through and like you know Fortnite written on the back of the mic stand so I can remember <laughs> to say it where are we? I don't know, Glenn. That's my impression of the Eagles. All of the Eagles right there. I don't know, Glenn. <laughs> it's it's pretty spot on. It's it's like what Rich Little used to do, Carson. You know? Where you could just it close in your eyes and you were transported. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, <laughs> right. Let's close this up. Let's let's get it here while we're on a high. Yes. All right. We will see you in a fortnight with uh, two new movies, which we will present to each other and then uh, argue about and or fight over. Um, <laughs> in the meantime, check us out legionpodcast.com, dbccpodcast.com, uh, and, uh, you know, podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com. You should go there. There's lots of good stuff, too. So, oh. Yeah. All right. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Take care. We'll speak to you soon. I can't believe I used the bye, everyone. You did? <laughs> yeah, it's... Ugh, bye. When you try your best, but you don't succeed. When you get what you want, but not what you need When you feel so tired That you can't sleep Stuck in reverse